Welcome to the Your Riding Success Podcast. My name is Natasha Altoff and I'm a Grand Prix dressage rider from Australia, author of three books and a leading online trainer of riders all around the world wanting to take their riding to the next level. I'm also a chocoholic, mother of two amazing children and obsessed with helping riders be all they can be. Each week, I'm going to be bringing you stories of inspiration, ideas and strategies of how to make real progress in your riding, and give you actionable advice on overcoming riding fear and anxiety, so you can take your riding to the next level and be the rider you dream to be. So let's get into today's episode. Welcome to this Your Riding Success episode with the brilliant Judy Reynolds. Judy is Ireland's most successful dressage rider and holds the Irish international records for Grand Prix, Grand Prix Special and the Freestyle to Music. Judy has represented Ireland at multiple major championships, including two FEI World Cup finals and the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio, where Judy became the first Irish rider to qualify for the final. Together with her stunning, charming and very cheeky jazz pharaoh bred gelding, Vancouver K. JP. Judy has been setting the dressage world alight for Ireland and has attracted many new faces to the sport at home and abroad. I had an amazing conversation with Judy. I trust you enjoy it. So let's get into it. All right. So um, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm really, really, really pumped, Judy, to, to really unpack your amazing success. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm happy to be here. Glad you invited me. <laughs> and I do have to say, as we start, I love your accent. It is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so we'll start where we always start, which is um, how did you get into horses? Did you love them from a very young age? Was it a later in life thing? What was your first experience in 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 with horses? And, yeah, was it something you always wanted to do? Yeah, I started riding quite young. I was um, five years old when I started to ride. And I actually started riding at our local riding school with a couple of friends from school. We went once a week. And um, yeah, I I have been told I fell asleep on the pony the first time uh, I rode. So I have a a talent for sleep. Yeah, I obviously felt quite comfortable in the, in the environment. Um, so, you know, I've been riding since I was quite young and my brother and my sister, Andrew and Isabel, also rode. So, you know, it was what we did when we were kids. We, every day home from school, out onto the ponies, galloping around the fields, everything else. And uh, we did a lot of showing when we were young. You have that there too. Um, yeah. And I think that was actually a great way to start. a great foundation. So... Yeah. And I, I did that right up until um, till I got into dressage, you know, late teens. Great. And what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were six, eight, if people asked you? I don't actually ever really remember having that kind of um, thing of, I want to be an astronaut or I want, I want to be a fireman or something like that. <laughs> um I think I just always wanted to ride. You know, I always loved, loved the ponies and wanted to spend as much time with them as possible and just loved, loved being outside and doing that. So I love it. And did you plan, did you, do you remember seeing a certain Olympics and going, oh, that looks fun. I want to do that. Or did that come a lot later? I think the first Olympics where I was kind of aware of sort of the equestrian element of it was probably was Sydney. Um, mm. so- 2000 um although you know I have memories of before that um you know in the summer when you know the Olympics was on at home you know being glued to the television with my brother and my sister watching 
you know, than everything, athletics, swimming, you know, all the sports, you know, so already the Olympics was this big thing that, you know, everybody was interested in, regardless of whether you were into that sport as such anyway, you know, so that was, that was always the thing. The Olympics was a very, very big deal, um, you know, even when I was younger, but as I say, I think Sydney was the first time really the the horses became a, a part of it for me as well. Mm, yeah. So you said um, late teens was when you shifted the focus to dressage. What mm-hmm. happened? Did you get a cool horse and start playing with some fun tricks or what was the catalyst? Um, as I said, I was doing showing and uh, yeah. working for jumping and things like this. And our jumping ponies used to go uh, hunting in the winters to keep them keep them busy um but I had a pony that didn't jump at one point and um so in the winter went and did a couple of dressage shows with the pony and qualified you know, having no idea what I was doing other than learn the test and just kind of vaguely <laughs> vaguely ride around the arena yeah uh, qualified for the winter finals and um my mum was like right well you better go and get a lesson and see what this is actually about and <laughs> I was very fortunate in that I had my first dressage lesson from Gisela Holstein, who is was at that time an international judge, uh, you know, a lady living in Ireland, but comes from Germany um, herself, uh, you know, rode very well. And her, her two two children both have competed, you know, hikers on the on the dressage team with me now. And her son also, you know, competed at World Equestrian Games and show jumping. So, you know, I was very fortunate that my first dressage lesson came from a very good source. Yeah. Um, I was very hooked very quickly. I, I, I love just information. You know, I, I love learning. So the whole thing of dressage, you know, is, is just fascinating, really, because you never stop learning. You know, even now you still learn every day. So you know, I, I very quickly became, became very, yeah, very addicted to it, I suppose. And, uh, Gisela had a few schoolmaster horses that I used to be able to ride, you know, and, uh, learn the, learn the tricks on them and, um, yeah, had a great time. them. Okay. So once you had that kind of experience, you were quite hooked. So was this now deciding what am I going to do? Am I going to finish, like do stuff with schooling and end up going to university or am I going to become a dressage rider? Yeah, well, initially, you know, I was still in school at that point and the plan was, you know, go to university and and get a proper job, you know. Uh, Exactly. So you know, I at, at that point, the, initially I was doing, still doing showing, still riding the ponies, um, also doing some dressage on the side at the same time. Um, that became a little bit more already. I think in my last year of ponies, I rode the European Championships for Juniors, um, which was my first international event, which is quite scary. <laughs> Maybe not the way to go about it, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, and then, yeah, then I just, I really, really enjoyed the dressage. And when I went to university in Ireland, I conveniently chose a university that was halfway between my house and where my horses were. So I was able to to ride every day or almost every day. Um, so I kept riding all through university. And then after university, um, I, you know, took a year out as such. Um, still at that point with the intention of doing something in the direction of what I'd studied, which was music. 
Um, wow. Whether it be music teacher, probably would have been the direction I would have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I decided to take a year out, said I'd go to, to Germany and train for, you know, six months. And yeah, nearly 20 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's talk about that piece going to Germany. Had you ever traveled before? Like away from parents and away from everything no. that you, yeah, no. never been away. Um, obviously, you know, we traveled, you know, holidays yeah. and all the rest, but um, traveled also with the ponies to competitions in England and different places. I'd also done a couple of European championships at that point with my horse in the dressage, um, but had never traveled really on my own. And um, a friend of mine was also coming out with two horses. Um, so I took two horses, he took two horses and he, uh, and we packed up the truck, four horses, drove for two days to get to the south of Germany to where we went to train. We went to train with Anna Merveld and uh, arrived into the beginning of January. The place was covered in snow. Um, uh, at least you were, it's, it's cold in Ireland, isn't it? Uh, not like that though. And um and it snowed every day until about April. <laughs> I never saw green until until Easter. But um yeah, it was, you know, an incredible experience. All of a sudden, you know, living on well on my own with, with my friend, but you know, um it was uh yeah, it was a learning experience, that's for sure. Didn't speak the language, you know, but hey. Yeah. Yeah. So what keeps you like for people to step out of their comfort zone and, and stay in snow and not see green for however many months and do all this kind of stuff, there has to, there has to have been something that was, was amazing and was keeping you there. What was that? Um, yeah, like I think I'm, I'm very competitive to the point that, uh, Patrick, my husband doesn't let me, you know, play too much of my niece. Monopoly. Because, because <laughs> let them win. <laughs> I love you know? it. So, um, and I, I'd been obviously at that when I left Ireland, dressage in Ireland was still very much a infancy sport. Yeah. You know, um, at the you know, I didn't you hardly got a Grand Prix at you know at the competitions. Um, mm. At a pre Saint George class, there might have been three of you in it. Mm. So, mm. you know, you were first or second. You know, really bad day you were third. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you didn't have to do a lot to do quite well. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and I came to Germany and had been out here for, I can't remember exactly when I went to my first show, but um, anyway, I went off to my first show, came last and thought, right, okay, wasn't wasn't quite as good as I thought I was there, you know, so best do something about that. And mm. uh, yeah, just, you know, I get very stubborn at that point and uh, decided I was going to, you know, get better and show them that I could do do better than, you know, the stereotype and um, yeah, stayed at it until I, until I got there. So I think that's what kept me going really, you know, wanting, just wanting to get better, wanting to be better. And I, I, I really believe you have to compete against people who are better than you to get better so mm, mm, absolutely and what level so you had brought one horse one horse over to Germany two, to begin with two horses so, yeah. 
and they were both probably competing at like pre-St. George level. Yep. I love it. Okay. So, um, I get it. Bad. There's this. I'm badly competing at pre-St. George level, I might add, but yeah. You were there. <laughs> yeah. You got a series of changes. Maybe not every three or four strides, but it was happening. Okay. <laughs> so you were in this amazing experience and you could obviously see all, all the horses and all the riders were somehow better than you. And you were like, well, I've got to yeah. crack this boat. Um, did you, and you've now been there, <laughs> as you say, for 20 years, were you looking for a, a trainer, like a trainer um, relationship? Did you find that challenging? Were you wondering are the horses I have right? There must've been a lot of um, was there confusion about, okay, I know what I want. I need to get better. I want to be first, not last, but how do I do that? Um, yeah. Uh, like I think I, I always say that when, when I went to Germany, like when I, in Ireland, when I trained at the Holsteins, they kind of instilled this love of dressage and this, you know, yeah, love for the sport. But I think when I went to Germany, I learned how to ride. Mm-hmm. So I'd, since a little little kid um mm. you know I was when I went to Germany I was steering and riding movements mm-hmm. I was riding I wasn't actually you know having any real effective influence let's say on how the horse was actually going and yeah. how he was using himself and, and everything else and I think Anna really taught me that um mm. and I trained with Anna for five years so mm. um you know that uh that was a huge influence and in, you know, in how I ride and, you know, um, but, you know, and I, I very much, when I choose to do something, I very much stick with it, you know, whether that's train with a trainer or whatever that might be, even picking a horse, you know, I tend to stick with it. So, um, you know, I, I came out to train with Anna for six months, but ended up training with her for five years. Um, and, you know, I, I just loved it. I, I stick to a program and I, and I do it. And I think that probably in a way also still stands well to me with how I go about my own horses now, you know, how I approach them. I love it. So can you speak about those five years? Um, it sounds like, uh, and please, please, I'm just feeding. Um, so tell me if I'm on the right track or the wrong track, that you're quite unemotional about the process. It's um, so obviously in those five years, you didn't know how to ride um, and you have to learn. And that can be quite challenging because you're like, well, I know how to ride a half pass, but you don't know how to ride a half pass. Yeah, yeah, you just go yeah. sideways. I don't know how to do that. Um, and then it's this whole unlearning and learning of, of, of it. Uh, were you, do you remember crying a lot? Were you frustrated a lot? Were you doubting you had what it takes? So were you quite unemotional about the process just knowing if you stuck to it and every day showed up it was going to get better uh yeah that thought actually just came to my mind when you're before you said it I've only actually ever cried on a horse once I think um out of frustration you know um and I can remember it uh being training with Anna actually and uh I had a new horse um no, actually, sorry. It was a, was one of the horses actually I brought out with me. Sorry, and she was she was a very difficult little firecracker of a of a mare, and um, we'd been working on something, and it was the only time I got so frustrated that I actually cried while I was riding. And because yeah, other than that, I do sort of yeah, I just see it as a process. You know, mm-hmm. I don't 
I don't get overly emotional about it or I try try not to do because I do obviously still get frustrated now um but not to the point where I just want to to give up I, I more so just get very determined and and uh, if somebody says to me ever you can't do that or that horse isn't good enough well then I'll it <laughs> it's like the red flag to the bull I oh, love it totally totally yeah Excellent. Okay. Um, so, uh, why, uh, where are we in the timeline? Um, like what year is it when you do those five years with Anna? Where, where are you at? Um, I had just turned 21. Yeah, I was 21. Um, so 2002 through to 2007, I was down there. Yeah, and, and were you I, thinking of 08 or 12? Like, were you always thinking about the Olympics or were you just first, like, littler goals? First, I'm just going to learn how to ride a half pass for an 8 or a 9 or a 10. No, it was always goals. Um, it was always, you know, try and qualify for, you know, a championship. So initially there would have been qualifying for European championships. You know, that would have been the thing. Actually, although the first championship I rode at senior level was – Weg in Aachen, two thousand six. So that wow. was the uh, yeah. I, I do things a bit backwards sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so Aachen was the first championship, two thousand six, and then um, EO qualified. Then the next year for I think the year after that was Turin, um, the European Championships. You know, so there were always those goals, and you know, obviously the Olympics was something that I always thought yes I definitely want to ride it but at that point it wasn't really on my radar I think at that point I'd realized not really good enough to to go there just yet and I can actually remember getting a phone call from the federation in 2008 saying Ireland had a space but whoever I can't remember at the time who had actually qualified the space didn't have a horse and it eventually came to me and I actually said no I said I don't want to go just to just to be there. So um, I actually turned it down at that point and uh, did question you myself. You are competitive, aren't you? <laughs> myself later going, I hope that wasn't my one shot. Um, but no, I think it was the right right decision. And then and then very much tried actually to qualify for 2012. That was very much goal, um, but that didn't didn't work out. Um, probably again for for good reason but you know that that didn't work out and that made me all the more um determined to get there in 2016 and then (laughs) we did that we went at it with a plan that was you know that was going to happen great so do you mind sharing a little bit more about because I'm all about studying what's the ups and what's the downs and I've never spoken to anyone with ups that don't have downs um and like you said the downs probably helped you to get the up in the 16 so was it um uh yeah you said I really had a plan was it that your plan was flawed or you didn't have one or was it just a shitty circumstance the horse got a bug in its eye and that was the end of that 2012 we would I think or you know for 2012 we came at it I wasn't experienced enough I had I had I had a good horse definitely he was a good horse um but yeah we weren't experienced enough to be able to go out and produce what we needed to produce on on a on a consistent basis you know we could have great tests and then we could have you know disaster tests and we just didn't have that consistency really and then kind of 
went back at it or gave it a, a laugh kind of effort in the last couple of months um, before qualifying finished for 2012. But as I realised that year, the Olympic qualification process brings out um, in you know very very competitive people, and it's a real dog eat dog race at that point. You know, t- to get those qualifying spots as an individual, mm. and uh, you know, I just just wasn't there you know I just wasn't wasn't performing consistently well enough we were we were you know at the level and had the the capability of producing good scores but just not on a consistent enough basis to to do that um and then and that was very disappointing you know and I I actually at that point having not qualified for, for the Olympics um took myself off and worked for, for a show jumping rider for a while. Cause I just, I needed a change of, of scenery at that point, needed to see something different and, you know, not just stay in the same, same path, the same direction. Thank you so much for sharing. You know how we were just talking about you being unemotional. I'm going through my brain going, if she's just like unemotional about 2012, I'm like, you're amazing. So you were human and you went, oh God. So there was also feelings of doubt of maybe I can't do it. Maybe I'll never be good enough. Maybe I'll never crack that last bit that I need to crack. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you're, I am, I'm I'm, not, I'm very emotional about the whole process off the horse. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Onto the horse, you know. That's I suppose yeah. where you know where I do try and. But you do cry in the stables. Um, can do, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not well. I'm not so much. So I wouldn't cry so much, but I get very down, and yeah, mm. you know, can yeah, don't want to talk to anybody, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, 2012. That was a. Because we, you know, although I wasn't ready for it, we had put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, but obviously it's, you know, that effort costs you, costs yeah, you emotions no, you as well as, um, you know, just physically. And, yeah, uh, you know, you, you want to get there and then you don't. And, and okay. yeah. That's what I was thinking. You have to want it. You can't get there not really wanting it. You have to really want it. Oh, God, and, yeah. Want come to, off yeah. like, and that's a huge investment of energy and emotion and attachment and plans um and it has to be that way but for it, it's never going to work out for everyone if there's ten thousand people wanting it and working at it and energized towards it there's going to be a lot of disappointed people so um yeah if, that's if it, it there wouldn't be it wouldn't be that special would it no no <laughs> I love it. So you're show jumping and what happens? What pulls you back? What does, well, what? You know, I actually, I worked for a show jumper as a dressage rider. So right. uh, it was uh, Jessica Curtin, who is, uh, or at that point was, um, Jessica had been number two in the world show jumping. She's the Irish rider. And I had actually gotten to know her through Johan Hinneman, who I was training with or who I still train with. Um, she, Jessica used to go to Johan for her dressage work and we got to know each other and I'd started to ride her horses for her, um, in the afternoons cause she didn't live so far away from us. Excuse me. And, uh, she traveled, she moved to France to train Edward Rothschild and asked me, would I go and work for them in France? So, and as I said, I needed, needed the change of scenery, a bit kind of fitted and quite well and some baguettes yeah so I, we lived on you know kind of on the outskirts of Paris <laughs> we were oh. 
You're about 30 kilometers from Paris and uh, Euro Disney was one stop down the motorway the other way. Amazing. Um, and I worked for her for just short of a year. And it was great. You know, it was um, great to have that to- totally different, you know, um, approach. You know, horses that went to shows, you know, 50 weeks of the year. Not obviously the same horses, the same, you know, every week. But, you know, a very different approach to it than, than from the dressage side where, you know, you compete generally a lot less. Um mm-hmm. And also it was it was great fun for me, you know, Jessica, you know, I'd watch her rounds and, you know, you, you'd say, OK, it looked like the horse was maybe having a bit of trouble, you know, in the right turns or whatever. And you go away and you'd work on that. And, you know, Jessica would be able to translate what you did into a quicker jump off round. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was great to to have that um, experience. Mm, absolutely absolutely so um did you have vancouver at that time when you were yeah, jumping was, yeah he was the only horse i brought with me actually um i sold the rest of the horses and i kept him and he came mm-hmm. with me and it was probably good for him as well because he had been competing at precinct george level at that point and we were sort of trying to make the step to to grand prix which wasn't very easy um and it probably actually was a good thing for him to go away and have that time without competitions and just focus on on the work. Um, did a lot of handwork with him at that point. Um, also did a lot of jumping with him because um, I used to jump when I was younger. And obviously with Jessica there, you know, and we used to do, she used to teach me, she could give me a jumping lesson, you know, every other week or something. And, um, you know, it was, I think it was actually a really good thing for him at that point that he actually yeah. did but um you know ultimately I did want to compete so I decided to go back to Germany back in the ring you go yeah. I love it okay um and then it was a fairy tale um no <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me how it went <laughs> uh, when I went back to Germany actually we it was Great, actually. I, another show jumping friend from Ireland, Bertram Allen, um, he had actually bought Jessica's yard. It's all it's all very connected. And um, <laughs> But Bertram at that point was still only 17 and had four horses. So I rang him up and said, hey, you know, do you fancy sharing the yard? And so we rented half of his yard from him. And uh, I was helping Bertram at that point also with his horses. And, uh, you know, it was that was also great you know Bertram every weekend you know come home having you know won and it was it was great to be in that environment of success as well I think that you know really really builds you back up and makes you want it you know when you see it with somebody else and you know also being a part of it you know helping them with their horses and it was just yeah I think it was a great environment for us to be in but uh yeah and Bertram was uh buying many horses at that point he was you know really expanding his yard and ultimately he needed the whole yard for himself so we've moved we only live now still about 20 minutes from Bertram so it's it's great to have to have those friends close by and you know they help us out and we help them out and you know if they need anything with the horses or vice versa so it's great to have that connection close by but um yeah so we were there we set up our own business at that point um in in Germany training training other people's horses training riders 
and uh, yeah, I had Vancouver or JP as we call them, and uh, had uh, started doing a little bit of Grand Prix, sort of national stuff, intermediate two, short Grand Prix, those kind of things. And uh, he could do everything, but he couldn't be Piaf. Um, we were getting consistently getting threes and fours for the Piaf. Oh, and the next year the coefficient on the Piaf was to change from yeah. one to two. And I we knew we said if we can't improve this, you know, there's no point because it's going to become just way too expensive. Like nationally, at that point, we were still doing okay because it was only a single coefficient. But when it was going to be doubled, we were we were screwed. So we said, right, we have to do something. So having talked with uh, Hinneman a lot about it, we decided that I'd go down to Vienna and train with Ernst Backinger for a few days. Amazing. Again, just, you know, put my horse in the truck. Off I went. No idea where I was going. I'd never even talked to Ernst. Um, That's where you go. Like, (laughs) Piaf and Vienna just is synonymous. But I love it. Yep. So you're just driving along. (laughs) and said right this is where you go off you go I was like okay fine <laughs> went down <laughs> for five days and uh, well went down with no plan really at all just said right mm-hmm. here I am you know um I remember I had to get home somebody was getting married so there was a bit of a deadline involved ah. um oh I was getting married that was it <laughs> so I, I had to there was you a are hilarious as to when when I had to get back by <laughs> but it went down and um, the first day, Ernst took JP on the hand and he said, no, no, he knows he knows what he's doing. He says, you need to ride him. OK, grand, I'll ride him. And uh, they have a very different approach. You know, it's we did 15 minutes three times a day and you know, right. there was no long sessions. And the, he said to me the first day, he said, um, he's thinking too much about it. And I was like, how the hell do I make the horse think less? You know, this is <laughs> I've been told some weird things to try and do in my time. Yeah. But how- Horse thing less is, you know, it's a new one on me. Um, But, uh, you know, we just tipped away at it a little bit by little bit, as I say, three times a day, sort of 15 minutes. And on about day four, I just felt, yeah, he's thinking about it in a different process, um, in a different way. JP was one of these horses that he gets very, he's, he's not very patient. He doesn't like standing still anyway. So doing something that involves being on the spot a lot doesn't really, um, you know, please not him. Thing. Not yeah. his thing. No, and Ernst used to say to me, if he doesn't want to be on the spot, don't make him, you know, go canter three laps around the arena and, and come back to it. And I think that was a great thing that for me to understand, to not force him to have to be there. And JP just started to approach it himself a little bit differently. And I left after five days, not having a great, yeah, but just having a different way of approaching it. And feeling that, um, yeah, JP was approaching it differently. He was thinking about it differently. So, yeah, somehow he did think about it differently in those few days. Um, yeah, and it just, it gave me a way to to work to work with it. So that was, um, yeah, I think that was a very influential few days in our, in our careers. Yeah. Absolutely. And can we go full circle on that? What what scores did he end up finishing getting in the PF? Um I know at our last our last competition was a year ago, almost to the week, to the mm. day in Stuttgart last year, and he was getting nines for his PF. 
Oh, I need like a cheer function on this. That's amazing. (laughs) And what a good story for everyone listening going, yes, like I'm about to retire my my Grand Prix. Like like you can't pee off. This just won't happen. All you do is just drive to a random place (laughs) in Vienna and get that sorted. But what a a cool story. Yeah. I love it. It literally did a different rhythm in every leg. You know, it was like just totally random stuff going on. and, And now it's one of his highlights. Brilliant. Brilliant. Today's episode of the Your Running Success podcast is brought to you by Xflix. Start streaming the equestrian Netflix and enjoy streaming unlimited entertainment anywhere, anytime. For videos about fear, competition, dressage, barn secrets, anything you would need to know about owning a horse, riding a horse in any discipline, you can enjoy it all in one place. So start your $1.30 day trial with no ads, no upcharges and cancel anytime. Visit yourridingsuccess.com backslash xflix or click the link in the show notes. Okay. So um, you mentioned you had to get back for something maybe yeah. slightly important like a wedding. Did you ever and or do you ever now struggle to balance horses with life? Totally. Yeah, I'm terrible at it. It's horses <laughs> 95% of the time and life comes on a very, very much an afterthought, you know. Um, yeah, I'm I'm terrible. I don't I don't mind spending all my time in the stables um I don't mind being there late riding teaching and yeah it's I think it's hard on the people around me you know that maybe you know they don't quite have the same passion for it or like that's maybe unfair they do have the same passion for it but they just don't particularly want to be there all the time um so I do have to to try and remember it. it is actually also better for me to get out of the stables at a normal time and in the evening and actually do something else and and take a day off this is a new thing uh, very much I love it. take a day off and uh yeah I still manage to teach on my day off but um stop stop uh, it's uh it's it, it, I have to say it is actually kind of nice having a day off but don't tell, don't tell my husband that <laughs> he fought for a long time to get me to take the day off so um yeah no it is it is fun it is nice I love it. So it, when you are on holidays, these very rare moments, very, do you very... relax? <laughs> Think back to a very, very, very long time ago when you had a holiday. Do you relax and get into it? Or are you like, I, I haven't smelt horse. I need to get back to horse. I want to go back. No, funny enough, when I'm on holiday, then I'm literally like, I don't want to do anything. I just, I think then because I do actually switch off and um, I'm the person who could sit by the pool for two weeks and read a book and just, yeah. you know, veg. <laughs> My husband then is like, we have to do something. We have to, you know. He, he can all that mountain. <laughs> yeah, sit for like half an hour and then he's like, come on, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Okay. So, um, let's, let's then go to the Olympics. Anything that we need to talk about before the Olympics? Was it going well? So I'm, I'm, I'm filling in the blanks of the fairy tale that the PF just got better and better and the scores got better and better. And how are you feeling going into the selection events for 2016? Well, yeah, I suppose to go back a little bit, like 2014, Mm. um, we had started to do like yes, the Piaf had gotten better. JP was getting a lot more consistent in his um, in his performances. Uh, we had had you know we'd had some good international outings as well, and we're going to the World Equestrian Games in Cannes 
and that was to be first championship and um, we went quite confidently you know he he was doing great um he, you know I knew at this point it was the best horse I'd I'd had you know went very went feeling pretty confident but JP is a special character we shall mm-hmm. say and um I suppose at that point well with hindsight which is great um we kept him quite protected in a sense from atmosphere and things like that going into that because he he is a nervy horse you know and hadn't always dealt with that sort of stuff very well bad idea um went to Cannes which I don't know if you can remember what it was like but you ha- it was in a football stadium and you had to kind of down this tunnel and you went in underneath the yeah. the stands and you came out and in, in the stadium and he just lost it he was like no couldn't deal with the pressure at all um and was spooking at flower pots was spooking a cameraman was spooking at you know god knows what and just got really hot just got like really you know um he, he was thinking too much he exactly. got into his neck <laughs> the hamster was falling off the wheel it was running that fast <laughs> but uh yeah, so we totally lost it. Didn't, I don't know what, I can't remember what we got exactly, maybe 62% or something like that. Again, I was like, oh my God, how do we get here again to this point and it not work? Because at this point, I hadn't had a good championship ever. It would always be, you know, done, you know, doing well coming into it, but hadn't ever had the result in a championship that I wanted. And we decided, right, well, have a good horse, you know, the pieces are, are really, you know, the, the factors or the elements are there, you know, to, to do this. Um, and I decided, we decided at that show before we came home that he needs to get exposure. So I went to every show I could find at that point and the bigger, the better. Yeah. So we, I got my first um, entry to a World Cup qualifier that year, went to Olympia. Yeah, JP nearly lost it. But, you know, at that point we had to, we had to crack on, you know, very determined that this was going to work and did a couple of World Cup qualifiers that year. Um, we went to Doha the following year. So we had to fly. He had to deal with all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and we just kept putting him into bigger environments. Every Everything I could find, you know, he kept going and and he just, he did. He got, he learned to deal with it. You know, he got better and better and um you know did a lot of indoor shows that winter which was great because the indoor shows have that element of atmosphere that you don't necessarily get at the nice you know the very nice outdoor shows but they're very different you know so mm. we did as much indoor shows as we could we went to munich indoors we went to oldenburg as i said we went to the world cup shows we went to everywhere that we could go and he really just started to deal with it and he just got better and better and better and that led us up into um being able to approach, you know, the following year we had the Europeans in Aachen and we just missed out in qualifying for the special. But that was the first year, first time I went, okay, now we're really at a championship showing what we can, what we can actually show. And he dealt with the, the big stadium in Aachen really well. So I was really happy with that. And then, and then in Aachen, because that was 2015, yeah, in Aachen, I can remember sitting down with Thomas Bauer who organizes shows and saying to him you know how are we going to qualify for the Olympics Mm. you know he said right well you got to target your World Cup qualifiers um you know because they give you the bonus points they you have the the freestyles and and so on and so forth and 
And we sat down and we made a plan of shows that we were going to go to. We also looked at the list of judges who were going to judge at the Olympics, although that was maybe a little bit later in the process. But, you know, that, you know, at, you know coming up to the Olympics, we'd looked at the, the list of judges who were going to be judging and made sure that we showed under each of those judges at least twice Wow. in the in the build up so that they they could see the good JP and not the the old crazy JP because everyone had always said oh he's too he's too he's too nuts he's too too hot not rideable enough it's not possible mm-hmm. so we wanted to make sure that they saw the the good one as well yeah and, um, yeah that was it that was very much the plan of how you know how we were going to qualify and we sort of had this uh, well Patrick had this um a way to approach it of not try and go out every week and and um and ride a personal best or you know every competition ride a personal best but he said you just have to beat your lowest counting score so you have a certain amount of scores that count towards the qualification and he said right well just beat the lowest counting score so that your mm-hmm. your overall score is always improving ever so slightly yeah. and you know i think we virtually nearly always achieved it or very close yeah. And, you know, so little bit by little bit, we were just improving all the time. And yeah, and then, then, you know, we, we went back to Doha the following year to, that was our last qualifying event for the Olympics and um, went into having led the qualification process for most of the year, went into Doha without a qualifying place. And there was three competitions, well, three main competitions running that weekend where the main people who were hoping to qualify were competing and uh, being in Doha I was competing first as such through the time zones so it was always quite nerve-wracking uh, you know having to compete first and then wait for the other results to come in to see to see how um, how they were all doing but we did qualify on a personal best so that was a New legend that was a great I result yeah yeah, that's huge. Okay, so were you excited about the Olympics? Feeling yeah. confident, like going, this is epic. Like the qualifying process itself was was amazing, and to, the relief at the end of the qualifying process was huge. Oh. Like I remember coming out of the ring in Doha, he, like being back in the warm up ring, and then hearing the score, and we were just like shouting and like, yeah, and it, yeah, the poor people who were still warming up were kind of looking at us going, you know, keep it together, guys. Yeah, it's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but everyone, everyone there was so happy for us because they knew what we were there to do. And, yeah. you know, they all, you know, were really, really thrilled. And there was, you know, a good celebration that night, you know, back in the hotel having qualified. So, yeah, it was a huge, huge relief to have done it, you know, to have qualified. And then, and then I suppose that actually really set me up very well to go towards the Olympics and that it was a very much the qualifying process especially at the end was a very high pressure environment mm-hmm. um, and I had dealt with it and I think that gave me a huge boost to know that I could deal with riding under that pressure when it really yeah. counted so you know that was that was really you know really important for me I think going toward towards towards the Olympics yeah Mm, mm, huge so um did you have a goal for the olympics like i'm going to win the gold i'm going to make the special did you have any kind of um yeah like like pressure that self-pressure from you that you wanted a particular result my own goal was to get to the final um, right. i 
I sometimes have goals that I'll say to other people and then I'll have goals that I'll tell myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, my goal was to get to the final. Um, I knew it was a stretch, but it was, it was doable, but you know, but not easy. And Mm. uh, I had, I had a fantastic um, Grand Prix, probably the best Grand Prix at that point I'd ever ridden. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, somehow I do quite, I actually, I've learned that I do quite well with pressure now, so. (laughs) That that works for you. (laughs) Yeah. So um, the Grand Prix was fantastic. I had quite an early draw on the special. I think I was within the first six or seven horses to go in the special, but had a really good special. Um, And then sat nervously in the stands watching, you know, people going and, yeah. As we realised I was in, we did have a very small little, yay, you know, without trying to be too uh, <laughs> too disturbing or disrespectful to, to the people who are still competing. But um, yeah, to get into the final was just amazing. And I had people, you know, constantly on the texting from home, you know, going, how many more do we need, you know? Yeah. And then I can remember Johan rang me because he wasn't, he wasn't there, Johan Hinneman. And he rang me going, yes, you're in. He said, this one won't go past. He says, yes, you're in, you're in. I know you're in. <laughs> oh, how amazing. Yeah. I love it. And so you were warming up by yourself. If you said Johan didn't come, you were doing the whole thing by yourself. Patrick helps me. Oh, um, right. Yeah. Johan doesn't come always to the competitions. Never, never did. Um, yeah. And, Patrick and I do it together and uh yeah so that works really well oh cool yep so do you even remember the curve were you just buzzing were you just like what evs like I'm just gonna rock this out and have the most fun yeah like it was you know I I didn't have any pressure on myself going into the curve because I was yeah. like oh my goal yeah. was to get yeah. there yeah I, yeah really care at this point yeah uh, so I can remember being at the sound check going you know, looking around at the people who were in the the curve as well going how did I get here you know this is amazing but like I I remember I did have a couple of little mistakes in the curve and I was quite disappointed in a way and in, in, in that that I didn't finish on maybe the high that I'd had in the other tests but um yeah I was just so happy to have gotten there and have done that and you know tick that one's done you know so I'm so happy for you it just would have been amazing so you came home and did you go okay um I've done that maybe a bit more free time maybe a bit more holidays or did you go okay new goal 2020 Talk me through. Are we setting new goals, high goals, push, 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 comp, comp, like more competitive yeah. nature coming out, or are we resting? What's going on? No, no. left there going. I'm going to go again. <laughs> you know, definitely. I wanted to. <laughs> and straight away, I was, you know, wasn't going to be a single Olympian. Wanted to be a multiple Olympian. Um, definitely, on. and and want to do it better. Don't want to go back and and do worse as such not that you know getting to the Olympics is worse but once- oh, I'm with you. yeah sorry 18th not okay got to be top is it top 10 is it medal what is or is it to 17th is better um probably top 15 let's say you know we'll do okay. it okay. like obviously yeah a medal would be amazing but that's probably not in our reality yeah you know? um but like left left the Olympics yeah you know on a total high and 
and then said where it will take a little bit of time off with the aim of doing the the world cup season in the winter and i can remember being at home uh well home in germany and got a phone call you know i think jp had just started to come sort of back into work having had a bit of a holiday and uh, got a call from Thomas Bauer saying, hey, what are you doing on this weekend? And I said, hmm, don't know, nothing, nothing planned. He goes, do you want to go to New York and compete in Central Park? And I said, yes. Wow. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sign me up. Because uh, they'd done it as an as a exhibition event a couple of times, but they haven't done it as a, as a competition. And it's, it's actually the only time they ran it as a, as a competition. And uh, so I said, yeah, sure. Sign me up. I'm going. And uh, went to Central Park, won both nights, um, which was truly incredible competing, competing there, you know, with that. It was the same weekend the Pope was in, um, was in New York, um, which is kind of a strange thing. And uh, also the night of the freestyle, there was a Rihanna concert at the other end of Central Park. Oh my God. It was just yeah, <laughs> and you warmed up at stables, and you had to walk about seven, eight minutes through Central Park, and oh. you know, you'd be walking past buskers. People were stopping to ask you what were you doing, right. you know, ask you crazy questions, and and it was that night. It was in, under floodlights, and walked through the you had to walk through the park, and then down a ramp because it was in the in the ice rink, or they built the arena on the ice rink there, and down a ramp straight in, and off you went. But it was an incredible. Um, incredible experience and while I was there a couple of people said to me oh why don't you go on and do um Devon next week and I was like oh but you know our flights are booked back and you know how do we do it and all the rest and talked to a couple of people and we ended up staying on and we did the world cup qualifier in Devon Pennsylvania the following week won both nights and <laughs> yeah it was an incredible couple of weeks and I went home uh having yeah world cup win world cup qualifier win yeah. under our belt and um had a great world cup season and that was the the finals were in omaha the next april and um yeah jp was just on incredible form at this point you know just doing getting better and better you know at this point we'd eclipsed the scores that we'd done at the olympics you know um just it was just really he was growing in confidence i was growing in confidence at being able to really, you know, show off in the ring and, and show what we could really do and went to the World Cup finals and was fourth, you know, it was, um, and didn't really realise at the time, I think, how close I got, got to be on the podium, you know, but uh, yeah, it was fun. Amazing. Okay. So um, were you planning with JP the 2020 Olympics? Um, yeah, it was always a, sort of a, an option knowing he would, well, he was. He should have been eighteen. Um, mm. Is eighteen now? You know, the Olympics yes. should have been here. So knowing he would be eighteen, but he's the kind of horse that he's eighteen going on ten. You know, he <laughs> or he's you know not even ten. I think in his brain, no, no. maybe four. He, yeah, <laughs> he does not think he's eighteen years old. You know, he doesn't know it, and um, yeah, so that's really, really great. He doesn't, he doesn't look like an 18-year-old old horse, you know, nowhere close to it. So, you know, we always knew it would be a, a, a good possibility that he would be able to do it. So, um, you know, and still, still hoping. Who knows? Certainly, it's not very long to go, is it? So all my fingers crossed for you. Mm, yeah, like it's, it's a funny one, you know, it should have, should have already happened, but 
Mm. Maybe maybe the year break will have, you know, been a good thing. He's we've had it before in two thousand um seventeen he got injured at the time. I was like, Oh, you know oh, no. got injured just before the European Championships in two thousand seventeen. Should have literally like two days before we were due to leave. And uh, I was so like was it does he go out into the paddock was it a paddock thing or just a just a thing no he does go out in the in the paddock but it wasn't actually I I I was riding him and I picked him up after um uh a walk break and I just went "Mm, he's not quite right nobody could see Mm -hmm. anything but I was like doesn't feel doesn't feel right um and uh, actually, <laughs> we'd competed at Aachen a couple of weeks previously, and I'd had uh, three top five finishes in Aachen. And um, one of the judges had said to me, you know, if only you had a slightly better extended trot, you know, like it isn't his highlight. You know, it's one of the, he just, he does a nice extended trot, but it's not a highlight. She said, if you only had a slightly better extended trot, you know, it could be, could be a lot more points in there for you. And I went, right. Off we go. Let's learn how to extend the I found Piaf. I can find extended trot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ultimately, I think that's probably what did it. You know, I just mm-hmm. um, pushed for something that you know wasn't quite there, but yeah. um, live and learn. Uh, but was devastated to have lost the the chance to go to the Europeans. And I remember saying, yeah. "This was our shot. If ever there was one to do well, that was it." Because you know it wasn't the strongest field let's say that year yeah. uh, I knew going in I said oh that, you know we could have been top 10 we could have been top eight you know that you know that was our chance we've missed it you know and uh, he had a year off and um went back came back the next year and then ultimately went to the Europeans this year and was fifth twice <laughs> so, you know the I think in a way, you know, these things can be blessings in disguise that, you know, I think the time off, even though I hated it and, you know, I was, I was thinking, oh, this is it. We're done for, you know, but maybe it gives us more time at the end. You know, mm. maybe he needed that break and he came back better than ever. So who knows? Amazing. Yeah. Um, do you mind speaking a little bit, like for him to be that age and for him to be doing what he what he's doing? Do you mind sharing a little bit about how you manage him? Um, you said he does go out into the paddock. Um, what is his routine and his management to keep him so good? Um, I try and treat him like a horse, really. You know, he's he's very special and he's number one, and he knows that. You know, and he has everybody wrapped around his little finger, but. <laughs> At the same time, he's a horse, you know, goes out in the field with a friend. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in between the competitions, he does an awful lot of not working. You know, yeah. and I say he's kept fit. You know, we would do hacking. We do a little bit of jumping. We would do lunging, you know, anything that just keeps him entertained and fit and healthy and happy. Um, mm-hmm. And then... We only, I'm very lucky with him and that I only have to pick up the serious work a couple of weeks, you know, before, before competition. Now, obviously, you know, part of his training is to still be very supple and elastic. And that involves obviously, a, you know, dressage work. I would say I don't really ride an awful lot of movements, but I ride a lot of elements of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I only have to really pick up the, the Grand Prix work as such a couple of weeks out. So, you know, I think that's what keeps him, him healthy, yeah. that he does get drilled with the work you know he can and and doing a lot of 
you know, other stuff works the the tendons, the ligaments and everything else in different ways and helps to keep them keep them healthy. So yeah. Yeah. And does he get physio a lot? Um does he get ice boots after the rides? Any fancy schmancy uh, stuff? <laughs> I, don't, I don't do a lot. Um I believe No, like, that's I, so reassuring I, to hear. He, he does physio, yes, of course. He does get physio and you know, and things like that. But um we we do ice when he's worked hard, you know, yeah. not otherwise. Not every time, yeah. Um I believe an awful lot of everything can be not fixed but maintained with good riding, good feeding. Mm-hmm. You know, they got good feed, we feed very good supplements. Um you know, not a huge amount of them, but we do feed, you know, good supplements and um I think with good riding and good training, you know, that's more important than anything else really. Um so we do try and do that and he 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 doesn't even particularly like the 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 vibe rugs and things like that he's like nah. so <laughs> you know he just just That's great <laughs> yeah awesome so um you take on riders and horses for full-time training in um uh, you're near Dusseldorf in Germany yeah. do you mind yeah. sharing a little bit about the business and what a typical day looks like for you yeah um so it's it's just myself and Patrick and um, Enos at the yard. Enos is our working pupil. So we yeah. just do between us, um, which means we are very hands-on with, with everything, you know, um, you know, Enos's day off. Then, you know, I'm the one putting the horses on the walker, putting the horses in the field, um, tacking up, you know, washing them off and all the rest of it. So, you know, it, it's, it's good and that it means I get my hands on the horses, um, which I think is very important to really, really know your horses. Um, and, you know, Patrick does a lot of the groundwork with the horses. He um, He's very good with the young horses or horses that, you know, might be a little bit um, more difficult. So he's, you know, horses that don't load, not my thing. Um, <laughs> he's very good at, at all those kind of things with the horses. But, yeah, so a typical day for me is ride probably seven eight horses um teach um you know either people just coming in you know for lessons or or you know my clients who have horses with me um you know and yeah so that's we started we started eight in the summer we started a bit earlier but don't yeah. eight and try and be finished for six although that doesn't generally happen <laughs> yeah amazing and do you ride the more advanced horses to begin with and then the younger ones do you have a method or is it every day different or is it always the same order of the horses no it's not always the same order very much uh there is definitely a lot of variety it'll depend like if there's if of the more advanced horses if if there's a couple of them that are particularly you know due to work that day I will try and ride them earlier just because they do cost more energy, you know, a bit more time or focus. So I do try and do that in the morning when, you know, when I have the, not just the energy, but also I suppose the, the, the peace, you know, in the yard to do it. Um, But then there's days I'll start my day in three-year-olds. So, you know, it can, it can really be, you know, yesterday I rode two three-year-olds before they went out. So I did that in the morning and it just, that's, with the plan yesterday you know mm. due to 
the other things that were going on in the yard. So it, it can, it can really change. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, and what would you say is your biggest training philosophy, whether you are riding a three-year-old or your Grand Prix horse, um, there'll be elements that are always the same. What's always front of your mind when you're on a horse and training it? Um, the basics really, you know, um, I, when I get a horse in for training, you know, I could spend three, four or five months just doing straight line circles, corners and transitions, you know, and until that works, I don't really see the point in trying to do anything else. Um, mm. you know, you can get horses in and they're supposedly Grand Prix horses, but you, you can't, <laughs> you can't do a trot walk transition, you know, without yeah. getting your legs. So, you know, I, I very much think, you know, those basics have to work and when they work, everything else is easy. Mm, I don't mean that to sound flippant in any way, but um, if those basics are there correctly, you know, to ride a half pass actually becomes relatively simple because it's mm. just combining elements of those basics together. It's combining the bend with the moving sideways off a leg with keeping forward, you know, but if any of those elements aren't there on their own, no wonder it doesn't work when you go to put them together. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time doing the basics and and building up the the connection I want in the hand um the contact I want I do think that's incredibly important you know how the horse sort of connects to the bit connects to the hand so you know I do spend a lot of time on that and um yeah yeah like you know even on the Grand Prix horses then there's days they don't do anything other than transitions and straight line circles corners as I say you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those- it. yeah yeah okay um uh I think we've covered that I'm just looking at my notes it's saying yeah. um the highs and the lows I'm like I think we've gone there we've definitely <laughs> yeah. <had> that <laughs> so um and we're clear we've got all our fingers crossed for Tokyo 2021 do you set yeah. bigger goals obviously you've got a lot of horses there and you've got young ones do you are you a big dreamer? Like, do you get a three-year-old and you're like, cool, you're 2032 Olympics and you are 2028. Do you do any of that or you just enjoy exploring what's there and you see how it all unpacks at the end of the day? Yeah, like a bit of both, I suppose, you know, I don't put any great um, expectations on the real babies. You know, they just have to develop and their characters have to come out and you got to see where you know where they're going to be suited you know what what path they're going to take really um it kind of I suppose it comes out a little bit further down like even a five six year old then you're starting to go oh yeah okay this one maybe could do could do this or could do that but ultimately I think so much of it you don't know until you get there (laughs) that's Really so worth it. But no. It, um, sorry, my phone called me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't know until um, until you're most of the way there. Really, you know, it's everyone said JP wouldn't be good enough. You know, yeah. Like well, he, there was a three PF. If we hadn't solved yeah. that, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> but you know, they were saying you know he's 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 too hot he's not rideable enough you know he's too spooky he's too this he's too that and you know I think he's the one that really has ever proved if if ever you should stick at something and just you know 
tip away and work you know little bit for little bit you know and I and I think we're still chipping away at ways to better you know I'm still not sure we've actually reached you know our ultimate pinnacle pinnacle yeah so you know I think there's always something that can be improved and you know now one horse that I think is going to be really great you know as as a five-year-old six-year-old you wouldn't have looked twice at him you know he was he's an overbuilt you know slightly fat um (laughs) you know uh really sweet gelding fritz um but you know didn't have a trot didn't have always had a good walk had a good canter but had had no trot and and kind of came across as being a bit sleepy you know it's a bit like uh, you know he's never gonna sparkle enough he sparkles he breathes fire like he's you know he's found his found his way and um you know I think he's going to be truly incredible and as I say you know even now <laughs> I have a friend who, who actually looked at him a good few years ago with you know the idea to buy him he said no, no I don't think so and I I sent him video <laughs> last week and he goes I feel really stupid I didn't buy him <laughs> oh dear the one that got away that's amazing you know, and it's, it's just it develops with the work it's one of those things mm. like mm. that there's an old German you know saying that you know you know correct riding is enough that you know mm. correct riding makes the horse and, and horses get more beautiful through dressage work and and they really do you know mm. through correct mm. riding they become they they become more beautiful they become more talented yeah amazing if you were to look back on your career and everything that you've achieved what would you say is the secret to your success um being stubborn <laughs> i love it yeah and not listening to every all the experts telling you that isn't it can't work won't happen you're like I'll prove you I'll show you yeah yeah just being determined yeah pick out (laughs) no it's a good good thing any um sponsors you'd like to mention oh we are so lucky we have um we have some uh, truly truly amazing sponsors um I love that I work with quite a few Irish companies um you know, some big ones like uh, obviously horseware sponsor us and you know like we had horseware rugs back when I was a kid and mm. I still have a couple of the ones that we had yeah. you know I think Patrick pulled out a pulled out a, a field rug the other day and he goes you've had this rug longer than you've been in Germany you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's 20 plus years old and you know it might be missing a buckle here or there but it's um you know it's still a good rug, you know so it's a great company, horseware, really great. Um, and other Irish companies, um, Gain Horse Feeds and TRM, who make all our su- supplements, Thurbridge uh, Remedies manufacturers, they they do the supplements. And, you know, both those companies are great. They're always on hand if you have any questions and um, advice. And, you know, they, they truly um, are make great products. So really lucky to have those. And um county saddles who uh sponsored me that was that was a funny one actually we um we'd met gene freeze who's uh who owns county saddles while we were in devon at the mm-hmm. at the show yeah and, uh patrick met him one evening in the bar and he's like oh gene fancy <laughs> and i was like no i don't like change you know i, I very much liked what i was riding with i was like no i'm, I'm happy with what i have and 
and Gene is, is great. He's an amazing developer of saddles and he's quite a big personality. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know. I'm not feeling it, you know. And um, But Patrick had kept in touch with him. And then a couple of months later, uh, all our tack got stolen <laughs> from the stable. Wow. They, they came in and they cleared out all the saddles and everything. Wow. And um, Patrick got in touch with Gene and said, uh, yeah, so how are we looking? <laughs> <laughs> And they were so amazing. Mika, who's their their sales rep here um, in Germany, came to us the next day with a trailer full of saddles and said, you can have whatever you want, keep anything you need. And they were amazing. And like truly, these saddles are better than what I had before, you know, and I don't change very, you know, easily, but I was... um, you know truly truly love the saddles feel like I've sat I've never sat closer to a horse you know in my life but they were so great to us and you know we it was only four weeks before those world cup finals in Omaha and they made a saddle for me in that time I had it I think three days before Omaha but it fit perfect from the first day I just brought it with me and um it was fantastic and I still have that saddle and that's still um Little JP saddles, so you know I I can. They're a brilliant company, you know, amazing service, great people, lovely to work with, love them. And then yeah, we also have great sponsors in in Rokel for the gloves, you know, which again I use before they ever sponsor me. You know, it's what I only like to put my name to things that I truly do actually use every day. And it's the same with yeah. our whips, you know, Fleck whips, um, you know, and they're fun, you know just great great company great products and uh, a new one for us actually is um Lemieux who have the the saddle pads and and the have you gone into the matchy matchy I don't I'm not a very good matchy matchy person (laughs) when you see what I you know I I try and I try and look presentable on a daily basis but I can't generally manage much more than that I don't I don't put an awful lot of effort into that though I have to say but I am trying trying to get a little bit better because we are trying to do a bit more on social media and stuff and you know that it is you do do have to put in some effort when it comes to that Um, so I am slowly getting persuaded to go in that direction but yeah but they do have great products I have to say and again we were using their saddle pads before before we were, you know, we're sponsored by them because they're great. You know, they wash well, they clean, they hold their shape. There's nothing worse than a saddle pad that after three washes um, has taken on a a whole new shape. And these ones really don't. So, yeah, you know, I'm very lucky by the companies that we are sponsored by, that it is truly things that we would use anyway. Yeah, that's amazing. Anyone else that we need to thank and um, acknowledge today? Yeah, we have um, we have one other Irish sponsor actually, uh, which is Aracas Insurance, who help us financially as well. So that's a that's a fantastic help in this business because, you know, without that we you know we wouldn't be going to all the places we need to go and and keep all these horses on the road. Yeah, that's amazing. Where can listeners follow you on your matchy matchy journey on social media? <laughs> <laughs> And where can they contact you if they'd like to um, figure out something with lessons or what you do in in your training? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, actually, we're getting much more into the whole virtual lessons. um, With the the Skype and the the Pixie. Yeah, yeah. 
So I haven't been able to travel to Ireland since March. And normally I would have been there every month teaching a clinic. So, wow. um, so I'm trying to keep up with as many of my uh, students at home in Ireland as I can. And we do that um, by... Yeah, either by Zoom or by Skype or by Pixio or we're open. We do everything. However it goes, yeah. <laughs> um, so we do quite a bit of that. Um, but yeah, social media, um, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I believe I am on Twitter somewhere, but I'm not really. I don't definitely don't I keep up. Know. Don't know. Um, but yeah, get in touch. Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere like that. No problem. Or okay, my or through it. my uh, email. Yeah. Great. Well, you can give us that email and we'll put it yeah. all in the show notes so everyone Perfect. can find it. Anything else you'd like to leave everyone with? Um, no, just never give up, really. You know, keep going and uh, you'll get there, even if it's just tiny little bits, steps, you know, at a time. So well said. Thank you so much for your time. Everyone, I'm sure, is super inspired and really enjoyed hearing your journey. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. To stay up to date with the latest content, don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast. Go on, hit subscribe. I'd love if you would also love to leave us a review to help us how we could do better or make this even more amazing for you. And remember to follow us on Instagram at Your Writing Success and Natasha.altoff.